my pleasure to introduce the members of the panel that will be in conversation for this session entitled Windows and Mirrors, LGBTQIA, there's more letters now than ever, and Visibility and Representation in Contemporary Australian Young Adult Literature. The convener of the panel is Nell, on my left, and Nell is a teacher librarian at the University High School in Parkville, and her career in edu education has taken her from teaching Latin and French in the leafy inner north to working on literacy programs in Western Australia's Great Sandy Desert. But her main, main passion is for books, for reading and for, for indoctrinating young minds about the transformational power of, of literature. Nell is particularly interested in building a diverse and inclusive collection and ensuring equity of access for all library patrons. Her top bookish podcast recommendations are the New York Public Libraries, The Librarian is In, and her book writes, Hey, YA? Hey, YA. Hey, YA. So Nell will be leading the following authors in discussion. Alison Evans, um, Alison just here, is the author of Ida, is that right? Yep. <laughs> a, a YA book about parallel universes. Their next book, Highway Bodies, due for release in 2019, is a story set in a zombie apocalypse <laughs> where queer teens have to rely upon each other to survive. Geordie, did I get it right? Yeah. Yes. Geordie, is a, Geordie Kerr is a freelance writer and youth literature advocate. Their thoughts about books have appeared in such places as Archer, Books and Publishing, and Crikey, and their YA short story, Sheer Fortune, has been published in Meet Me, oh, Meet Me at the Intersection. Is that right? <laughs> Currently a support worker for LGBTI young people, Geordie previously worked at the Centre for Youth Literature, helping young adults engage with books, stories, and writing. And Jessica. Jessica Walton is a picture book author, teacher, parent, daughter of a trans parent and proud queer disabled woman. Wow. She wrote Introducing Teddy, a gentle story about gender and friendship to help explain gender identity in a simple, positive way to, their, to her kids. Introducing Teddy began as a Kickstarter project but has now been published in the United States, United Kingdom and Australia by Bloomsbury. It's also been translated into nine other languages. Jess, Jess lives in Pakenham, Victoria, with her wife, kids, and cat. Please welcome our panel. Thank you so much, Joy. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Um, I just wanted to start by quickly unpacking the title of our session. I'm just getting close to Alison. Um, and by just having a little chat about our three lovely authors and their work. Um, so the session is entitled Windows and Mirrors, and this makes reference to kind of a metaphor that was, I'm going to say invented by Rudine Sims Bishop, who's a professor emerita of education at Ohio State University in the US. Um, and she invented this metaphor with reference, she's a specialist in African-American children's literature, 
Um, so that was sort of the lens through which she um, developed this metaphor about windows and mirrors. And um, the educator Chad Everett, I'm reading, I have not memorised this, um, tells us about this idea that in addition to texts of stor being stories to be enjoyed, they are powerful tools of social justice. With access to mirror texts, students are able to see that their narrative matters. And with access to window texts, students learn to understand and appreciate the narratives of others. And I thought that was a really interesting metaphor through which to approach our discussion of LGBTQIA um, books and particularly young adult fiction in the sort of Australian landscape. Um, and I just wanted to have a chat about each person quickly. Um, Alison Evans, to my right, um, is the author of this great book, Ida, which I had to fight a year nine to get the library <laughs> copy of today. <laughs> I'm taking oh, it no. to them. They're fine. They're okay. fine. Um, Alison also writes a lot of short stories um, that do jump in, just grab the mic, but that do tend to skew towards genre fiction, towards speculative fiction. Um, and I highly recommend their Patreon if you like good writing. Um, Alison's also done some great, a lot of emotional labour just educating the people. Um, and thank you for that. Um, has done some writing for the Saturday paper and for Daily Life, and I've got etc. Um, about gender, queer and non-binary identities. So just trying to help the people understand um, that a bit, and is going to be featured in the forthcoming Kindred Anthology, which I'll get you to talk a bit about, and um, also has a forthcoming novel called Highway Bodies, which is about a zombie apocalypse. It's terrifying. I read the short story it was based on last week, and I was in the library like, <laughs> my boss was like, are you okay? And I was like, no. Um, I am not. There are zombies. Um, so I was just wondering, um, Alison, if you could just tell us a little bit about the forthcoming Kindred anthology and, um, you know, touching on what you've done there, any other authors. I believe Nevoe's Eason is also... In it? Is yep. that, did I make that up? Um, yeah, tell us, could you tell us a bit? Yeah. I'll give you the microphone. Cool. Okay. Uh, so Kindred is being published by Walker Books in June or July next year. Um, it's an anthology of, I think, ten queer Australian authors, and basically the theme is, like, connection. And so my story is just about two non-binary people, like, in the MISC future, um, who meet on the ocean because the world is... Flooded, <laughs> um, and I guess I just wanted to explore more of the friendship side of queerness because for me that's most of my queerness. Like I've dated three people in my whole life. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess I just try and write about that aspect of queerness. I think um, just found family and having pals and stuff. Yeah, I think the other authors are. Um, Chris Charles Siokas, uh, Ben Moore, uh, Nev, Nev Zizin, um, Omar Saka, Clergy Coleman, Marley Jane Ward. Um, do you know who else is in Jackie Brown. Yes, Jack yes. Jackie Brown. Yeah. Uh, and Ellen Van Nieven, I think. And Michael. Oh, yeah, and Michael Epp. <laughs> I'm not sure how to say his name, but he's a lovely man. Um, and he's the editor as well, and when he asked me to do it, I was just kind of like, 
what? Because like <laughs> everyone else is so talented, and it was just it was very nice just to be asked to to do that and just kind of realize that our queer authors are like amazing. Mm-hmm. All of them. They're, yeah, it's, it's it's very flattering. Well, number one, you're a genius, so don't try me with the, like, all these other authors are so talented. But thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to take a little bit of a deep dive into Jessica Walton's backstory. Um, Jessica Walton has written this um, Introducing Teddy book, which has been a little bit of a worldwide sensation um, and just has been seen everywhere. Um, It's very very popular in our library. Kids just are absolutely going for it. Um, and also is featured in the um, Meet Me at the Intersection anthology. Um, I loved your story in that. I loved the, um, the relationship between the, the parent and the protagonist was just parenting goals for me. My kid is four, so I'm not quite up to that yet, but um, I was just like, this is the future. Um, <laughs> So, um, Jessica also writes poetry, and again, another person with an amazing Patreon, should you choose to follow that, which I highly, highly recommend. Um, and she's got a poem coming in a forthcoming anthology called The F Word, or is it just F Word? The, the F Word. The F Word, um, which is an anthology by writers who proudly identify as fat. Um, and she also writes about disability and chronic pain. Um, and is a zinester and also I have heard like a coy mention of an upcoming superhero origin story involving farts which is like (laughs) fascinating but we can't say too much about it apparently. Um, Jessica also wrote a co-wrote wrote wrote an episode of Get Cracking with um, Kate definitely (laughs) co-wrote with Kate Mc. McLennan. McLennan and Kate McCartney, yes. isn't it? Yeah. So many Macs. Um, I was just wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about your um, work in Meet Me at the Intersection. Um, that is the book that we sort of got here today, and sure. I may have follow-ups. I've got follow-ups. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I guess the first thing to know is that, like Alison, I was just like, how am I in this? <laughs> These people are amazing. Uh, and actually, I had never written YA before. I'd only written um, picture books. Well, one picture book published and had been trying to write this follow-up picture book. Um, but I'm a massive YA reader, and I've been on the Love Oz YA committee, and I was super enthusiastic about Australian YA, particularly queer YA. Um, and so it was something that I guess in the back of my mind I was like, I wonder if I could be one of them. Maybe. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So when I was approached to write this story, I was like, I will give it a crack. Um, and I wanted to write something kind of fluffy and romantic um, because um, I would have really liked that when I was younger, and I had nothing like that. And I just wanted something that was yeah, I guess about a family relationship and also a bit of a romance. Um, and I wanted the team to be, you know, at an amputee with chronic pain, um, who's just come out as bi, and yeah, all those kinds of things that I was dealing with when I was a kid kind of whooshed together into my character, because normally when I'm looking for a representation, I'll like find an amputee in one book, I might find someone, it's really hard to find anyone with chronic pain in a book, but you know, you'll see bits, you know, of queer rep in another book, um, or there might be two characters in the one book. One of them is disabled and one of them is queer, but I never kind of see them in the one person. Um, yeah, and so that was that was what I was trying to do with that story. But I I hated it 
the story for a long time, and I tried to pull it um, about three times. So Amblin, the editor, was really great and just kept calling me and saying, do not pull it. It's going to again. It's going to be fine. <laughs> so she really held my hand and um, made it a better story. Editors are amazing. Um, and yeah, just helped me to kind of find what I actually wanted to say. Um, so yeah, that process was incredible. I love writing short stories because with two kids, two and four, um, I'm trying to write a novel at the moment and just like far out. <laughs> um, so yeah, picture books and short stories, like they're not easy to write, but they're chunks of writing that you can kind of work on and work on and work on with, with kids around. I find I can fit them in the same with poetry. So yeah, so I think I still can't read that story without cringing, um, but some people have said they like if they get something from it, then that's great, and it was the story that I wanted to put out there, and so even if it's not perfect, it's what I wanted to do, and achieve what I wanted to do. Well, I loved it, and um, I just, what you're saying about how it sort of reflects back your sort of intersecting marginalised identities is really, I think, really important, and I also think it kind of goes meta on that, because the main characters at a comic con were type thing where they are looking to see that person who is the one of the actors that they're looking to see is an amputee who plays a sort of heroic character and that's really important for them and I love how you just like injected that at multiple levels and it's just so great. I really, I really enjoyed it so much. Thank you for thank you for not pulling it. Thanks <laughs> Amblin Quay Mullinan for <laughs> making her not pull it. Um on my right, as is everybody, um, is, is Geordie Kerr. I think Geordie is probably a familiar face if you have been around the world of books for a while, or certainly a familiar hair situation to me. That's how I picture <laughs> around this morning. Um, Geordie's done a lot of work on Inside a Dog and the Inkies. Um, they've been involved with judging the Victorian Premier's Literary Award. Um, and... What some work of Geordie's that I really appreciated, again, taking the time to educate the people, was your series about um, queer young adult fiction in Archer um, magazine. I don't have one of those to hold up because it's online. So I highly encourage everybody, if it's of interest to you, to just um, pop onto the internet and just Google Geordie Kerr Archer magazine queer YA. Um, really amazing series of four articles in which Geordie sort of unpacks the current state of play and um, makes some suggestions for future states of play that might be better. Um, and, yeah, wonderful, wonderful work and hard work, I suspect. Um, and Geordie's also currently a worker with LGBTQIA young people doing a lot of um, amazing work around that and wrote a story meet me at the intersection as well. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that short story to, um, to get started. If you just want to grab the mic off Jessica... Thanks. Yeah, I, I think the common theme here is um, writer self-doubt. Um, <laughs> wasn't expecting it. Um, never quite believed it until I got it in print. Like, at, at any point, I actually expected it to, to be cut, for someone to be like, oh, no. Not <laughs> Which is not about the attitude that anyone gave me. Everyone was, like, super supportive through the process. It's just that self-doubt and self-sabotage. Um, that was the process. Sorry, was there a question more around content? Um, 
I, I, I love that, um, and your story is amazing. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your story and about, um, so again, there's a great sort of parent relationship in your story, and it's about the person who shapeshifts, and about how that kind of, how that speaks about your own thoughts about intersectionality and identity. Yeah, I can't remember exactly how the shape-shifting part came in. The first kernel was possibly that um, I had a hilarious conversation with some folks about the ridiculous type of wear books were out there, so the, obviously the trend with werewolves and everything, and then we were trying to find the most ridiculous animal that had a wear form in a book, and I think the one we found that was the greatest was wear hedgehog. Um, <laughs> and somehow I ended up at wear krakens, and I think for me that was just so natural because my writing inevitably explores bodies and particularly at that period, like I've, I say in the introduction, I've, I've always had a complicated relationship with bodies. I've grown up as a fat person. I did a lot of work thanks to the body positive movement to learn to love and accept myself. I then got knocked down <coughs> sideways by a chronic physical illness um, that is still managed. And then I've gone through a gender affirmation journey and um, the gender affirmation journey is so new and recent and that was very much at the time that I was writing it as well. So all of those things and because I, I was at the Centre for Youth Literature for seven years and then changed into working in the LGBTIQA plus space, which gave me space to explore and affirm my gender, um, but then at the same time it was the first time, because I got sick when I was already employed with the Centre for Youth Literature, it was the first time I then had to navigate new employment and do I disclose about my illness, how do I manage my illness with these new employers and everything like that. So I think all of, all of that became a wear-cracking. That's amazing. And I love, I think that there's something really powerful in, in your story about how there's this sort of um, monstrous element um, to the to the main character's relationship with their, their body and there is that kind of monster but there's also a lot of love and, and tenderness and the way that those two sort of seemingly opposed things fuse together is just really it's it's very touching to be honest um, it's really I found it really beautiful um, I wanted to also ask the panelists today about um, because we're all we're all librarians we're all library workers about your experiences with libraries as, as young people, like, were they good, were they bad, were they horrible, was your school librarian awful to you? <laughs> tell me everything, Alison. <laughs> tell me everything, Alison. Uh, well, my school librarian was my friend's mum, and so she was really great. She, like, showed me Tamora Pierce um, and really cool ladies with swords, and I was like, hmm, yes, go on. Um, but because... <laughs> <laughs> because I I grew up in the Catholic school system, I don't think there were actually any queer books in our library. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to go to the public, uh, the library bus that came to my town. Um, I think it, once once a month, or I don't know. Um, and it was really hard to find queer books, and they were all kind of like American. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure why <laughs> um, but yeah it was just uh, I think that's why I liked fantasy because I was like anyone can be in fantasy and that's fine um, and also girls with swords um, yeah so I guess in terms of like being a young misc 
person, mm. it was really nice, but being a young queer person, it was uh, pretty awful, <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Um, because there was there was no queer stuff mm. um, that I could find. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. And Jessica, what was your, did you have similar lack of representation? Did you, what was your yes. experience? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't read a queer book until I was in my 20s. So, um, I grew up in the Catholic school system. Mm. I had the most incredible librarian at my primary school, Miss Jenny, and she was one of the people that I dedicated a picture book to because um, she was definitely like someone, whenever I think about books and reading and the people that influenced me, she was a big, big part of that. Um, she was just super cool, and when I was going through cancer in primary school, um, I did get teased a bit, and I was just going through a lot, and so the library was quiet. Um, safe space in the school and um, she just kind of got me and got what I needed so she kind of go you should read this you should read that and I go find a quiet spot in the library to kind of pull up and read um, and she never um, doubted that I could handle difficult books and so she would you know say well this is aimed at older readers but I definitely think you can handle this and so she kind of I felt really um, respected and valued in that library um, yeah, so, because the playground was kind of a place that, you know, I could have fun there, but it wasn't always safe, and mm. so the library was like a sanctuary, I suppose, but um, representation, yada. <laughs> um, I think I read one book about someone who was sick in a primary school peeling the onion, and that was really significant at the time, because it was like, wow, um, this is sort of, kind of, almost a little bit like stuff I've felt um, but you know disability rep and peer rep were just not really there and the disability rep was really bad and the peer rep was non-existent so um, and then in the Catholic high school system same sort of thing nothing um, I worked in a public library as a shelver in high school and so I saw some books that I think might have been queer but it's just like I felt um, uh, yeah I didn't really I felt kind of weird about borrowing them or reading them. Um, yeah, I was still coming to terms with who I was, so there wasn't a lot of visible queerness anywhere. In my life. Um, and then I read uh, Fingersmith when I was in my twenties. I was in my twenties, and I was just like, "Wow, this is so cool! <laughs> um, this is what this feels like." I remember just crying reading it because it was just like it blew my mind, um, and just also feeling really angry and bitter. <laughs> started going out, I definitely got to read a lot of stuff online and that was a, a big thing for me. But yeah, anyway, I'm getting off topic. Do you want to uh, no, I feel like that's very, very on topic. I also, is it Sally, Sally Vickers? Is that the author of Fingersmith? I know it's Sally. Yeah, Sarah, Sarah Waters. Sorry, I just am not very good at names. Um, amazing. Sarah Ward is amazing author. Um, sort of historical queer fiction, which I love a lot. Um, and Fingersmith is just so great. It's like, so much blood. Um, and Jordy, what about you? What were your experiences like um, with libraries growing up as a teenager? I definitely grew up in libraries. My mother was a public librarian, so I, every time I wasn't at school, basically, the you know wasn't really left home alone. It was go to go to the library. So in the holidays, I would literally be camped out in the corner of the kids section. Um, 
not finding any <laughs> queer representation. No idea where it was. Maybe it wasn't on the shelves. Maybe it was... I don't remember my mother ever stopping me from borrowing a book. Um, I was certainly never policed in that way. I just never found anything until, again, um, away from home, young adult, in your 20s, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and do you feel that, that uh, you've been around the world of books um, a lot. Do you feel like that, how do you feel like that situation has changed? Are we living in a glorious hereafter where everything's fine? Um, <laughs> or is that not happening? Oh, I sense a soapbox coming up. Um, <laughs> yes and no. It's better, but there is so much space still for things to be improved. And the series that I wrote for Archer um, was me getting on my soapbox after the Awesome Levels YA movement released a series of posters to try and help connect people with books. And the queer books that they had featured on their LGBTIQA plus poster were a great representation of what's available. And the trouble with that is there's not that much representation available. And like that's a few years ago now, and it's already changing since then. And um, sometimes I've pulled together um, the data from um, all the different queer resources, and particularly Jenny Porsack has done quite an extensive audit, um, again, a few years back, about um, LGBTIQA content in books. But that thing of like, there's only one book um, written by an Australian author that has an intersex character, mm -hmm. and it is so mismarketed, and I have some severe issues with it. Um, <laughs> and it's not own voices, if own voices is important, and I'm diving into something that I don't know if you want to. I do, I really do want to talk about own voices. Um, and actually, in our pre email chat pre this session, um, Jessica reminded me that own voices is, I'm just going to look at my pronunciation notes because it's quite a tricky name. It, um, it was a movement that was started off by Karine, Karine Dowvis, um, who was also a member of the We Need Diverse Books kind of team over in um, when that got started. And I think um, my favourite quote about Own Voices is one that I'm not ashamed to say I've pulled directly from Geordie Kerr's Twitter feed. Um, and it's... <laughs> Sorry, I was so creepy. Um, <laughs> and it, it's a quote from Amberlynn Quay-Mulliner, the editor of Meet Me at the Intersection, saying that, um, that literature has been about the people in power telling the stories of the people in pain and saying that she, she asks herself, what am I doing to move the people with the pain closer to the power? Um, so what, are your, what do you understand own voices to be? Why is it important? Tell us all about it, please. Um, to me, it's most important, and the point that I really hammer home with it is it's not that other people can't write diverse characters or shouldn't write diverse characters because the world as it is does need to be represented in the literature that people access. But if... if <laughs> not wanting to be a gatekeeper. Um, if you are writing a story where the protagonist is from a minority community and you are writing that particularly with a first-person voice, you are sharing something of that community's experience. If you do not have that lived experience, if you get it wrong, you don't pay the price of that. And that's one of the things that really bugs me and um, one of the ways I sometimes describe own voices is a little bit of a backlash to when the We Need Diverse Books movement started and all of a sudden those who already had access to publishers, who already had a reputation, who already had access to that power um, and that platform were suddenly producing stories about diverse characters. It wasn't actually 
necessarily reaching the communities that were needing to share their voices. Um, so I, Own Voices is a much short, shorter version of saying that we need diverse books by diverse people. And it's not that there's not room for all of the diverse books, but I think there's something particularly valuable in Own Voices books. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, yeah, I would certainly, I think that's really, really great and passionate explanation of why that's of why that's such a huge thing and I'm just wondering when I hear um, you speaking each person speaking about their experiences with um, representation in libraries growing up I sort of wonder what what would it have been like for you how would it have been different how like this is very hypothetical but how do you think it might have been different had you been able to access those books had you been able to access books which it essentially would function for you as mirrors what do you think that would have been like? Jessica, do you want to...? Um, well, I often think with my own kids, um, you know, they've got a disabled mum, they've got two mums, they've got a donor, they've got a transgender grandmother, um, and, and yet picture books are so incredibly... Uh, like, there are so many people that are not in the picture books that most kids are reading. Um, and you can just tell that... I mean, I know from personal experience that when you don't see yourself, it's damaging. Like, it does you damage over the years to see. It, it sets up the way that you think about the world and the way that you realise other people think about you because, you know, it's not just about what people are saying in those picture books. It's about what they're not saying and who they're not including. You start to understand that you're not in those books, that certain people are not in those books. Um, you see the world around you, you see the books that you're reading, and you're like, oh, OK, so it's this kind of family that's in picture books. It's this kind of kid who's in picture books. Um, kids are not silly, we all know that, so um, yeah, they're getting that information. So it's a message that we're seeing them over and over and over and over and over and over again. And we talk about the classics all the time, they read, you know, the same sorts of picture books. Um, and then we hand those classics on to our own kids and perpetuate that. So um, with my own kids, I tried to build a diverse library of picture books, and that was really difficult because there wasn't that much out there. And, but as I was reading each of the picture books that I found, it was like heal it was a healing thing. And that's the same as reading a, the first queer book in my twenties. It was like first acknowledging the grief of not having had that myself and then going, Oh, this is really healing to read picture books and then middle grade and then YA and to kind of fill in those gaps and to see everyone in those books and go, Yes, we belong in there and screw anyone who thinks we don't. Um, so Corinne was one of the editors of this website called Disability and Kidlit, and that has that website um, is one that I think every librarian should know about. A lot of librarians probably already do, uh, but it's a website where um, disabled people review books written for kids, um, not picture books, sadly, but um, middle grade and YA. Um, review books for kids that have disabled rep in it, representation, and it's the person, so the person doing the review shares the disability of the character that's in the book. Um, and it is just such an incredible resource. And there are articles up there as well written about disability representation, exploring that. Um, there are transcripts of conversations between disabled people about what it's like to read these books and how important they are. Um, and I think reading through that website and um, and being on Twitter and talking to other disabled writers and queer writers, and um, I think I can sort of imagine what it might have been like. I might have had less internalised 
ableism, for one thing. I might have realised that I needed other disabled people in my life sooner. I might have looked for the disabled community sooner. I might have identified as disabled and been proud to be disabled sooner. Um, I might have come out sooner, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? I might have talked about those books with other people. I might have realised I needed queer community as well. Um, I can't tell what the difference would have been, but I, I do think it would have been a profound difference. And I think that we're starting to see that difference when we're looking at young people who are disabled or queer or part of a marginalised community who are reading those books and finding themselves and then finding other people on the internet and talking about those books and you can see the difference when they've got that representation. So it's not perfect yet, but it's so much better. Yeah. Thank you so much for um, talking about your experience in such a really authentic way. That's really, that's very moving for me because I think it's just really amazing for us as teacher librarians to understand that we have the power to, to move young people towards those healing experiences and towards those experiences of self-acceptance that, that you've just spoken about so beautifully. So thank you for that. Um, that was like quite amazing for me. Sorry, I'm just going to take a breath. Um, <laughs> I'm fine. Alison Evans, how are you? Um, I'm fine too. Good. <laughs> Um, what do you, what, uh, you said when you um, were in the library looking at books that you saw a lot of, um, the, the, you didn't see a lot of queer content. What you did see was not Australian. Um, we're sort of here talking about queer content in Australian YA. Why do you, what's the importance of that? Like obviously it is important. Um, why, why do you think that it's important that we build sort of the Queer YA movement? Um, just finish with that. <laughs> oh, I think because when I when I read US books about high school, they feel not real mm. at all because I think Australian high school is so different. Um, like you'll watch, like I tried to watch one of the Pretty Little Eyes or something that's YA technically mm. in America, and it's like. What is this? Is this fantasy land? I don't know. <laughs> why do people um, drive cars? Yes, why are they driving? <laughs> it's very confusing. And I think it's just very alien to Australian teens because, you know, we don't have any money. <laughs> and all that kind of hierarchy, like the jocks and the... Mm. I don't know, it's just... it's That wasn't my experience at all. Um, mm. And I just couldn't really relate to that stuff. Mm. So, which I guess is why I like genre fiction because it's not pretending to be our world or whatever. Mm. Not that, I mean, pretending is the wrong word to use. But it's not contemporary, so it's allowed to be different and you kind of approach it in a different way. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was just, yeah, it was just the sort of Australian content thing, which I think you really yeah. nailed, actually. Okay, thank you. That it sort of reads as authentic to people. Now, I'm just going to quickly look at my phone, because I have no idea what time it is. I'm just going to be open about that. Cool. Uh, great. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, I'm wondering if people have thoughts at the moment. So, obviously... Um, Things have changed a lot since people's childhoods. Things have certainly changed a lot since my childhood in the sort of landscape of what's available um, in young adult literature and in children's literature in terms of representation. I'm wondering if people have thoughts about what are the gaps? What do people think are the gaps? Where can we really, where can we improve? Um, where can publishing improve? 
Where can we improve by seeking out material to diversify our collections? Um, I, I guess in this um, discussion we'll probably touch on the theme of intersectionality, which is um, a big part of the Meet Me at the Intersection. The clue is in the title. Um, and just this idea that was invented by... I keep saying invented. This idea which was proposed, which is... Named. named, thank you, which is named by um, Kimberly Crenshaw, African-American woman, who was talking about the idea that when we speak about um, the experiences of people with marginalised identities, that some people stand at the intersection of more than one marginalised identity. So uh, this um, particularly was of relevance to Kimberly Crenshaw in um, the experience of African-American women in feminism because they're like, well, I'm in the marginalised group of being a woman, however, I am also in the marginalised group of being black and when those things intersect, it creates complications. Obviously, you can have multiple intersections and that's what is sort of represented in this book maybe the intersection, um, although obviously also it comes up in your work as well, Alison. Um, so just kind of pre-touching on that. But I'm just wondering, what are the gaps? Does anyone want to let me know what they think? The, um, Jordi, do you have thoughts on the gaps? I have so many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the essence is, I think, always intersectionality because obviously every person is different and we are intersectional and complex people. And so it's going to always be really hard for someone to find all components of themselves represented in a book. So the more books there are with more intersectionality, the better it's going to be. There can absolutely always be more intersectionality. Um, to bang the trans drum, um, <laughs> I definitely want to see more trans characters, um, especially, obviously, again, my self-interest, non-binary drum. Um, because I was trying to remember, Ida, did it come out in 2016 or 2017? 17. Um, so, to my understanding, unless I missed something in my research, Ida is the first book in 2017, last year, um, published by a mainstream Australian publisher that features a non-binary character. And yet, the latest research of trans young people in Australia shows that 48%, so nearly half of trans young people, identify as non-binary. So, where the heck are they seeing themselves? And in terms of gaps as well in a difference between Australian and international, the gender affirmation pathways overseas and the legalities around it are very different to the ones here. Mm -hmm. So if people are accessing information around that in literature from overseas, it's not going to be accurate information for their own experiences and whatever hoops they might have to jump through. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I think that's really, um, that's really um, great great gap identification to her. And thank you, Alison Evans, for writing the, um, the first non-binary character in 2017. Once again, putting in the hard yards to help us all. Um, Jessica, do you have any thoughts on the gaps? Before I talk about the gaps, Ida is my favourite YA book of really? all time. Yeah, so you should thank definitely all have it in your library and read it and recommend it to everyone. Um, I just, yeah, love it. Uh, so uh, I think... In terms of intersectionality, it's a lens to look at, you know, um, to go, okay, well, what are the, what are the experience, what, what are the problems that we're not seeing? Um, uh, and it, I think in the, in the video that we shared in the email uh, before this talk, you know, one of the things that um, Kimberly Crenshaw, am I getting that yeah, right? Yeah. Um, talks about is, um, 
that if you can't see a problem, then you can't address it. And so um, there was a court case that she was talking about where black women were talking about the discrimination that they were faced that was specific to them being black women. So was, there was a company that was hiring black men and white women, but they weren't hiring black women. Mm. Um, and so, but the judge dismissed her case because um, the company weren't racially discriminating and weren't discriminating on the basis of gender, um, but they were discriminating specifically against black women. And so that's that's how this idea of intersectionality came about. Um, and so I think uh, as a disabled queer person, um, you know, I'm often uh, never, I often reflect on how I don't necessarily feel at home in either queer spaces or disability spaces if they're not inclusive of the full range of people within those two communities. So you could go to a, you know, a queer event and realise that it's not accessible, um, not fully accessible. Or maybe I can get in there as an ambulant disabled person, um, maybe with difficulty if there's a flight of stairs because of the chronic pain, I had a lot of trouble with stairs. Um, but, you know, there are other people in my community, um, queer disabled people who are wheelchair users, um, who are non-ambulant, who would not be able to get into that space. Um, or if I'm in a um, disability space, you know, there'll be talk, there'll, there might be someone talking about um, gender and sexuality and not mentioning LGBTI people at all as part of that discussion. So, um, yeah, so I think uh, looking at the specific experiences of people who belong to multiple marginalised communities um, is really important and it helps us to identify problems. And in literature, um, I think... Uh, you know, it's really powerful. If you're, if we're talking about mirrors and windows, if you're talking about windows, giving people insight into other experiences. So to have a character who is both disabled and queer, or disabled and trans, or black and queer, um, or indigenous, and um, you know maybe, you know, any any combination of identities, you're going to give readers more of an insight um, because you're covering more ground in that person. So, you know, on a very practical level, it's a good way to give people additional insight. So you can cover ableism and homophobia and transphobia in the one mm -hmm. character or the one book. Um, so having diverse characters is a really practical way of helping kids to understand the world around them and the problems that are around them and to be able to maybe work towards solving those problems. Um, uh, and in terms of mirrors, you know, I remember someone saying to me when I wrote a, an amputee story, this was someone working in publishing, saying, there's not that many amputees, so we don't think it will sell. Um, <laughs> uh, and I just remember thinking, oh, there's not that many child amputees. And I just remember thinking, like, I am always looking for picture books about people other, who are different than me. And there's been this assumption for a long time in publishing that people don't want to read something outside of their own experiences. And so when you have a character who's disabled and queer and has chronic pain, someone might go, oh, that's ridiculous, that's a checklist, that's too weird, no one's going to want to read that. But I think young people are proving again and again that they do want to read about people who are different than them. Um, we have always wanted to read about people other than them. But there's a, there's been an assumption that there's no appetite for it. And so that's a self-perpetuating thing because if you never publish those books, then no one's reading them. And so then you have no sense of whether people like those books and whether they'll sell them. Yeah, so um, I'm, yeah, I'm really keen to see lots of people with multiple identities in, in books. And publishing needs to look at what they're publishing and also who's working in publishing. Because if you have an entire publishing company who are the same kind of people and they're publishing books about people who are like them, you know, it's pretty clear. <laughs> so they need to diversify the workplace and get sensitivity readers in. They need to look at diversifying the authors that they're publishing. 
shake it off. Mm-hmm. And own voices is a good way of doing that. But like you said, it's a backlash. It's a way of rebalancing the industry a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's good. Mm-hmm. I'm going on so long. Sorry. Um, I was just wanting to add to that in the mirror sense as well of how self-affirming that representation actually is and how literally life-saving it can be. Mm. And that when someone in a position of power says, this story is worth telling, Mm. Mm. the impact that has, it it can't be measured. Mm. And like one of my favourite quotes that I use in my work a lot um, in my day job um, is by Adrian Rich, which is when someone in a position of authority, such as a teacher, um, describes the world and you are not in it. There is a moment of psychic disequilibrium, as though you looked into a mirror and saw nothing. Can I? Yeah. Um, I think also um, that is kind of evident where you believe that, like, your your work isn't worth reading. Like, we all spoke about how we were, you know, surprised to be asked to be included Mm. in an anthology, and it's like we are good writers, (laughs) Um, and I think not seeing ourselves just internalises all that (coughs) bullshit. Mm. Um, Yeah, and just kind of trying to pave the way for other people as well. Like, there are a lot of white people in the room. Mm. You know, how are we we making room for other people if we talk about what do boys read, what do girls read, what about non-binary people? Like, Mm. there are at least two non-binary people in this room. Mm. We read a lot because we're huge nerds. (laughs) Um... Yeah, I just think just trying to make a softer world really is what we're doing. Like your gentle story about gender, um, which is just so nice. <laughs> um, yeah, just trying to yeah. Let's see. make a softer world. That's yeah. my solution. Thank you. <laughs> That's um, I hear the sound of clapping next door, so I just want to spend two minutes whizzing through everybody's hot recommendations for books that we absolutely should not miss. Obviously, oh, everyone's like going for the back. <laughs> I love it. I love it. They're going to throw them into the crowd. Um, obviously, do not miss Alison's book, Ida, um, and their forthcoming book, Highway Bodies, if you don't mind being very scared. Um, <laughs> It's really, it's amazing. Um, do you have any ones that you think people should not miss? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, the Kindred Anthology next year. Um, it's going to be very diverse, very mm. cool. Um, Is that Walker Books as well? Walker Books, yeah. Um, so that should be mid-next year. Um, also, one that was published last year, Night Swimming by Steph Bow. Um, it's a really cute romance set in a country town. There's a goat in it. Um, oh, it's great. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you have you go next? Because I'm just trying to find it. Um, I threw my list together, and again, I'm afraid it's not as heavy on Osway as I'd like. But obviously, Marley Jane Ward, always. Um, I had Kendra on there too, and Ida. Um, <laughs> Uh, in terms of overseas, I'm having a massive love affair with Alice Osman right now and giving it to all of the kids that I work yes. with. Um, Alice Osman, um, oh, thank you. Um, Alice Osman, spell O-S-A-M-A-N, if anyone needs, I like to spell. Um, and the books are Solitaire, Radio Silence, and I Was Born for This. Really, really great books that, again, sort of have a really have really diverse characters. And like you were saying, it doesn't feel like a checklist. It's like people are living their lives... And guess what? Human beings are diverse. And here's a book which acknowledges that. I love her. Sorry. 
Um, I'm Out With Lanterns by Emily Gale, which you'll have already heard about from the earlier session, but like that, like, no spoilers, um, but like the healing and the representation in there, and that was so powerful and I cried so much. Um, Not Your Villain, Lizard Radio, Am I Going Too Fast for People? (laughs) So that was um, I'm Out With Lanterns, Not Your Villain, Lizard Radio, and one that I haven't read, but that the kids are all loving. Where did it go? Um, oh, I need to write my list more clearly. Oh, Symptoms of Being Human. Oh, yeah. Adam Silvera is... No. No, I didn't write down the all three. I just wrote down the titles. But Adam Silvera is also amazing, and not only was his last book incredible, but he's now co-written one with um, Becky Albertelli, too, of... Um, love Simon slash Simon versus the Homo sapiens agenda fame. Um, mm. What if it's us? So I'm quite excited to give that one a go. Mm. I feel like I've talked a lot. Anyways, you got anything ready? Uh, symptoms of being human is Jeff Garvin. I just gave it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm going through reading a lot of uh, uh, graphic novels at the moment and comics. So I'm like obsessed with Hilda and and like also TV stuff like Shira and that sort of thing and and. Yes. Um, Steven Universe, and I'm just kind of that at the moment. So I've been reading the Hilda comics, which are great. But um, in terms of queer rep and disability rep, uh, I really love El Depo. Um, that one is um, about uh, it's a um, a memoir about growing up deaf. Um, and I've also been reading. Uh, oh God, I've forgotten the name. Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. Uh, it's about theme park, and there are demons, and there's trans rep and queer rep and oh god why is this and disability rep all that sounds one. amazing dead india yes. dead india by give me one second don't let me down google thumb dead india by hamish still it is so good uh and i'm currently reading um cardboard kingdom uh, by chad sell which i'm assured has lots of diverse rep in it and i'm loving it so far um yeah, and I think anthologies are a really great way to get to know um, lots of different kinds of authors, um, and I particularly think that that's a really great way to get a whole lot of different authors into the hands of um, teens. Um, so Meet Me at the Intersection and um, Kindred, um, and even the Love Oz YA collection has some good queer rep in there. Um, so I recommend like, getting those books to kids because then they can um, not only see different kinds of rep but also try out different authors and different genres and, and find something that speaks to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, graphic novels are awesome and I think there needs to be so many more Australian graphic mm-hmm. novels um, with diverse rep in them. So that's yeah, something I hope you work on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your recommendations. Thank you so much for your thoughts. Thank you so much for all of the work that you do making a softer world and a more interesting world. Um, I appreciate you all so much. And I would like everyone to give these wonderful authors a really big clap.